Good morning. You don't have to call me David Lee Bliley, by the way. I'm just, just David Bliley to most. But it is my middle name. So thank, thank you for joining us for worship this morning. And Sundays are just a time where we, we come together to worship God. But we actually spend more time outside of church than in church, which is a good idea. It was a good weekend for our church. The sisters went away yesterday to somewhere and had some great fellowship. So I'm sure that was awesome. And then our campus and professional, also known as the CAP ministry on Friday night, they had a little bit of fun with a murder mystery event. You can see the photos of that on Facebook. And, but I'm still left with the question of who actually did did it. Who was it? Timothy. Was it you? Well, go figure. <laughs> go figure. And the, the brothers in our Bible talk, it was exciting. We, we got together and handed out some flyers to invite people to a marriage workshop in our neighborhood, which was really awesome. That was cool and fun. And then a few of us went down to Pukekohe last night, way down to Pukekohe, and we watched our brother Chris play in the rugby. And I don't, I don't want to read too much into this, okay, but the very first time he touched the ball, he scored a try, which I, which I think says God is opening doors for you here in New Zealand. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to overanalyze it, but when I saw it, like, like God was just ushering you in. You know, maybe, maybe that's what was happening. I don't know, but it was, it was a great time of, of fellowship and seeing you play. Uh, that was awesome. And if you're joining us for the first time, we're in the book of 2 Corinthians. And so I'm going to pray, turn over there, and we'll have a read of 2 Corinthians 10. The last three chapters of the book of 2 Corinthians, before we shift gears and go to the Old Testament, because we've been in the New Testament. Testament for quite a while. And these last three chapters, Paul turns up the heat a little bit. So these next three lessons, the heat might be turned up a little bit as well. But that's all good, isn't it? Turn it up. Let's pray together and then read 2 Corinthians chapter 10. God, we are grateful that we can come this morning and worship you. And what, what a privilege it really is to come and take communion together as a family and with you as our Lord and, and really reflect on our lives and how we fall short, but at the same time, how you reach for us and pull us close to you. We're so grateful for that, God. We're also grateful for the guidance we get through the scriptures, and we pray that guidance continues this morning as your spirit really opens our minds and helps us understand what it is that each individual needs to understand, but also us as a church, what we can understand as well from your holy word. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, we can start reading in verse 1. If not, it'll be on the screen, and you can follow along there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal you, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you, went away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Amen. Amen. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience 
is complete. You're judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. What a discouraging thing to say about someone, you know? In verse 11, such people should realize that we are in our letters when we are absent. We will be in our actions when we are present. The way I write is the way I am in person. In verse 12, we dare not, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will continue our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. But let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. What's going on here? So in, in chapters 10 through 13, Paul is preparing to visit the church in Corinth. He's been away for a while, and while he's away, what he will call false apostles come into the church, and they start to really win over the church against Paul. They come and they say, we have real Jewish heritage. That's what they tell the church in chapter 11, verse 22. They also say in chapter 11, verse 6, we're very skilled in the way we speak. Listen to our speech. And they also boast of what they have done in chapter 13, verse 3. So what they do is, imagine that. Megan and I go away for a couple months, and then somebody kind of comes in and says, we're the real church leaders. And we're really going to show you how to preach the word of God. And we're really going to show you what it means. And, and I'm not even sure they're really committed to you because why are they away? What are they doing away? And that's essentially what they are saying. And they say, look, Paul, he, he's fine to just be away and write letters. But where is he? He's not here. He's not helping you guys. We're the ones here helping you. We're the ones helping you grow spiritually. And so Paul's in quite a spot, right? Imagine yourself in that spot like, okay, I got, I got to defend myself against these knuckleheads from a distance. And then I have to eventually visit and still sort it out. And so he's in, quite a, he's in quite a situation here. And so we, we learn from chapter 10 through 13 how he switches gears and he's ready to deal with the church and he wants things to be sorted out before he visits. That's what's going on here, okay? So let's look at a few things that we can all learn from this text this morning. Point number one is talk soft but carry a big stick. 
Teddy Roosevelt, 26th president of America, plus pretty sweet mustache, I might add. Similar to Dalton's in his murder mystery. I noticed that, and the first thing I thought was Teddy Roosevelt. When you, when you look at his diplomacy and his, his ideology about politics, he has this motto, speak soft, but carry a big stick. And in 1907, this, this was kind of demonstrated when he got together the naval fleet. There was about 16 battleships that America was really beefing up their naval military during this time. And what he does is he sends 16 battleships around the world, stopping at various ports around the world, kind of shaking hands and, and saying, hey, how's it going? And things go well here. And kind of a diplomatic, polite conversation. But at the same time, there's 16 battleships in the background. And at this time, America's really starting to flex its, its muscle. And this isn't like America, okay? So don't get me wrong here. I'm just, this is just a proof, uh, to prove this point of what, what his motto was. And so he goes around the globe and does this. And it paid off when he gets to Japan. Because in Japan, they were having some kind of conflict with some kind of protest that had happened in San Francisco. So this, this military comes together. They talk. They sort it out. No worries. No drama. No naval battleships. All right, but in the background, though, there are 16 naval battleships, right? And so that's what's going on. But essentially, in some way, that's kind of Paul's point of view as a leader. And I think it's helpful for us to understand this, that that's what he's saying. If you look at verse 1 and verse 2, what is he doing? This is an appeal. To whom? By the humility and gentleness of Christ. I appeal to you. All right, that's, that's how he starts this. And those two words are very important, humility and gentleness. They have this idea of a teacher who's teaching a pupil and does not easily get angered at their error and their stupidity. So they put up with it. They're very patient. The teacher knows things. The pupil doesn't. But they're patient with them. That's the word that's translated humility, but also gentleness. It's the idea that they're reasonable, they're measured, they're lenient. They have the authority, but they don't flex on their people. They're just kind of listening to them, helping them, coaching them, being patient with them. All of these great qualities for a long period of time until the people doesn't get it. All right, and we, we actually see this in Jesus, don't we? I mean, those characteristics are definitely visible in Jesus as he tours around in his ministry. He doesn't offend people. He's patient with people. But when it comes time for the big stick, he's got the big stick. But it's not his only tool. But the majority of the time, he's humble and he's gentle as he deals with people that he encounters. In the context of all this, if you look at verse 3 and five, three to 5, though, Paul said, look, I want to talk, I want to be patient, I want to be lenient, I want to be measured, I want to listen to you. But there's 16 naval battleships in the background. And look at verse 3 through 5. This is, this is like classic, ancient, siege, warfare language. He's got these high-powered, divine weapons. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. We demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the image of God. We take captive. We're ready to punish. So you see kind of this combination of, I want to be gentle. I want to be, I want to be patient. But look, if you don't change, there will be consequences. 
And that's what we see here earlier in 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I think it is, verse 21. When things aren't going well, Paul says this exact phrase to the church in Corinth. Because they're questioning his authority. He says, well, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Do you want me to turn up with the battleships? Or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? I'd much rather do the latter. But I will do the former if necessary. And so we see this over and over in Paul's ministry. And look, this isn't highly visible because of the lights there. But that's Jesus in the temple. When he flexes his authoritative spiritual muscle. Because this has been building up. What are the Pharisees constantly questioning about Jesus? His authority. Who gave you that authority? By what authority do you do this? Where did you get all of this authority? And he has dialogue with him for quite a while. But in Matthew 21, he enters the temple courts. He forms a whip and drives out those who are selling. And he turns over the tables. And this language is strong. It's like the same language when he's casting out demons. When he comes into the temple, he's like, enough talk. I've tried. Here comes the authoritative muscle. I'm, I'm changing things. Get this out of my father's house. Is his response. And you think, whoa, that's pretty intense. I, you know, there, there's a lot of ways this applies to our everyday lives and to us as a church. But here, here's three very pointed examples. I think, first of all, it applies to those who are currently leading or willing to lead. This is a spiritual leadership principle. The majority of the time. You're patient with people. You're measured with people. You're listening to people. You're teaching. You're coaching. You're instructing. You're training. And then repeat cycle. And then when they have a little bit of drama and things go off the rail, you're still patient. You're still coaching. You're still instructing. But after a while, if there's no repentance and the thinking isn't changing and the behavior is not changing, a leader or someone willing to lead says, hey, it's time for the big stick. And that doesn't mean bend over, we're going to give you a hiding. That's not what that means. But that means you have to be said, look, we got to deal with this stuff. This, is, this has gone on too long. It's gone on too long. We got to call people to repentance. Look, I grew up in churches where I never saw this happen. I was in a youth ministry where everybody knew what was going on. Everybody was sleeping around with everybody else and everybody flat out knew it. And after church, people go outside and smoke cigarettes and nothing was ever said. And I thought, is that church? Why isn't anybody saying anything? Well, we just love each other and we accept everybody. That's, I mean, yes, that's true. But the, the latter half of that is when the time comes to bring the muscle, flat out bring the muscle of God. And that, look, that, that goes on. I've served in uni, university ministries in America. We're on boards of what we call chaplains. And we all get together. We're all different university chaplains for different religions and all this kind of stuff. And, and everybody knows what's going on. And, and, oh, let's just figure out how to do this nicely. Okay, that sounds good. But we don't always see that in the ministry of Jesus. When the time comes, he brings it. I think it also confronts our tendencies to be nice. And it confronts mine, it confronts yours. Today's culture, being nice has become an idol. If you say something to somebody that they consider inappropriate, boy, watch out, they'll blast you on social media. 
I mean, we, it's, oh, you need to be nice. And, and, and true, I, I'm not saying we need to be angry at people. That's not the point here. The majority of the time, nice, lenient, patient. But when the moment comes, there's sometimes a mental block and we're storing it up and we know something more needs to happen. But we're all about being nice to each other. And, we, and, and sometimes people got to see the heat of God. Because I'm going to tell you this. This is the truth. The rod of men is nothing compared to the rod of God. Right? It's nothing compared to the rod of God. And, and sometimes we have this mental block where we can't push through and, and give people, look, this is the way God views this. Because we want to be nice. That's the second way it applies. And then third, I think it really helps us to really embrace the character of God. This is true about God. I mean, he's very patient. Very patient. You read the Old Testament. I mean, like hundreds of centuries. Patience with Israel. Sending prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. Change, change, change. They don't listen. They don't listen. Enough. I'll send you into exile. So God is like this. However... At times, in our spiritual life, there's people who persist in clear, spiritual, sinful, clear, sinful, not spiritual, clear, sinful behavior. People talk to them and confront them, and they kind of push them away. But guess what? Don't do that too long. Because God speaks soft, but he carries a big stick. And if you think that you can continue in that kind of behavior without any change, you got another thing coming. There's 16 naval battleships in the background. And God is saying, look, I'm being patient. I'm being patient. But I do carry a big stick. We have to embrace that truth about God. Secondly, we need to demolish arguments, not people. That, this is a key thing in this passage. It's very clear when you read 10 through 13, Paul has opponents. In fact, they're in his church and they're twisting him and his reputation. And they're really trying to gain the favor of the church and and pit it against Paul. But we we don't even know their names. You read through here, you just kind of get those those false apostles. Now, if you were to flip this scenario and it was happening here in Auckland, my default tendency would be to call them out by name. And you tell so-and-so, flat out, I got the big stick coming, right? But you don't see any of that with Paul. He's deconstructing and demolishing their thinking. Not the people. Verse 4 through 6 really zero in on this, right? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And we'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. In ancient warfare, those are the three things that would happen. Troops would roll up. They would destroy all the defensive fortifications. Demolish them. Destroy them. They'd take captives. Anybody that was resistant, they'd punish them. So this is like warfare language. But it's not against people. It's against arguments. 
Their thought process, their, their thought had been influenced by ungodly, worldly thinking. And Paul said, yeah, I know there's people in there, but look at their thinking. Look at the way they boast. Let's use that as an example. He says, think about it. They're coming over to a church I flat out planted. And they're boasting like they've done the work. How does that even make sense? I don't go around to other territories and say, here I am, look at the work I've done. Look, at the, look that's unspiritual. Look at the way they think. And what's more bizarre is you're attracted to it. You think that's spiritual. You think that's godly. That's so bizarre. These guys come up and they chop up Paul's reputation. And instead of going after them, he says, man, we got to destroy this thinking. It's ungodly and it's unspiritual. And the more you think like that, you'll get disconnected from Christ. And I'm more concerned about that than my reputation. And he's demolishing these arguments, not the people. Hey, look, it's often our tendency to aim the fist at the person, isn't it? I mean, what does Paul say earlier? Our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, right? I mean, we all think, oh, that brother, oh, that sister, ah, let me just go after them. Okay, calm down. Why are the, what's the thinking behind their acting? We need to go after that. There's something unspiritual about the way they're behaving, but it's, it's the thought. We need to demolish that. We need to tear it down. We need to put, take it captive. Not the person. Not the person. Magicians, you know, they're, they're, they're good at misdirecting, right? And I'm not going to do a magic trick, so don't get any expectations. I thought about it, but then I thought, I, can't, I don't even know any magic tricks. But that's, that's what they do, right? They're good at keeping your focus over here while doing something over here. And, and the, all the attention, the spotlight is shining here. They're, they're, here's the reality of what you need to be looking at. All the while, they're pulling cards out of their hat. I don't know what they're doing, but that's the idea, right? It's misdirection. They control what we see and what we don't see. And if you think about it, Satan is similar. He's pointing all the, hey, look up, look at this person. Look what they're doing. Look at this person. What are they doing? And then you start to really focus on the person and totally miss out that their thinking is unspiritual. And then he's aim, we're aiming all of our energy at people. And that, uh, Paul says it, that Satan is blind at the mind of unbelievers. The mind. And so he, he's going after the way people think. But our default is focusing on people. Certainly some reactions come to mind when you see those people. Donald Trump, Kim Jong-un, and Hitler. Oh boy. I'm not saying those are good people. But you get the idea, right? A face of a controversial figure. Like when you look at those, you just feel like, oh, those people. And, but that's, that's the misdirection. Look at those people. Look at those people. And Paul's saying, look at the thinking. It's ungodly. It'll tear you apart. It'll make you drift from Christ. We've got to tear this stuff down. It's very unspiritual. And that's what he says in verse 5. Hey, we go after everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And you think about today's culture, broadly and specifically, about all the ways they are deliberately setting themselves up Against the knowledge of God. It's intense. So how does this apply? Well, we got to work together with people and expose their thinking. 
This is what Paul says in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Read that phrase again at the bottom. We work with you for your joy. So there's this, hey, let's work together. I know, I know your thinking is off, but let's work together instead of, you're wrong, you're off, get it together. But we work with you for your joy. Let's, let me help you demolish this argument. Let me tear it down. Let me expose that it's unspiritual. Let me reveal that it's ungodly. But I'll work with you for your joy. Now this works when we, when we study the Bible with people. We can get angry at the person. I've done this. It's wrong. It's not effective. It's not fruitful. The, the, the proper way is to look at their thinking. Say, look, that, that's, that's, that's not, if you want to follow God, that's not the way the way God thinks. That's not the way the Bible really helps us understand. We need to be patient, and we need to be gentle, and we need to instruct people. We not not overreact to them, but expose their darkened thinking. You know, recently there was a conversation I had with one of my kids, and, and they just kind of were talking to me about what they're learning in their class, in a book they were reading. They said, oh, hey, we're reading this book. It's called Stories of a Boy Who Dared to Be Different. I thought, oh, what's that about? Is that about some, you know, guys like climbing up a mountain and, you know, like, let me let me be different. And no, it was, it was about a it was about a boy who who thought it was cool to wear different clothes to school, and he dared to wear girls' clothes. And I was like, oh wow, who who chose that book? Our teacher did. She came and she read it to class. Now my initial reaction was. I'm going up and talking to that teacher tomorrow morning. And it's flat out Saturday. <clears throat> and, but, but the more I thought about it, I was like, man, I'm, I've already got a target on this person. But it's the actual, it's the ungodly thinking I need to be more indignant about. I mean, there's all this kind of stuff, not just in our school systems, but your peers, your coworkers, your neighbors, the more you have affinity with them and you let their thinking influence you, it's, it's sinking in its claws. It's twisting the way you think. And eventually you'll drift from Christ. And, and that's why it's like, man, we, got, we don't just need to go to the people. We need to think, man, we need to be thoughtful about the, the, the way the world thinks is totally off. Bizarre. The way God thinks is, is bringing people together, connecting. And it's easy in the fellowship too. That's with the world. But it's easy in the fellowship to get angry and annoyed at people, isn't it? It takes a lot of patience and prayer to say, let, let, me, let me really think about what's going on in their head. We destroy the arguments, not people. That's what repentance is all about. Changing people's minds, not going after people. Lastly, we need to keep moving forward. We need to keep moving forward. In verse 15 and verse 16, Paul says this. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Again, the false apostles had come to Corinth and boasted as if they had done the work. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions Beyond you, for we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. What's Paul saying there? Well, the whole the whole reason he's slowing down and, and being patient and wrestling with them in argument is so that their faith can increase. He's taking time to sift this issue out, but it's not simply to sort out the issue. 
He's saying, I want to get all this sorted flat out so that we can keep preaching the gospel. So this faith that you've heard and have subscribed to can move beyond you to the other regions we have not yet reached. I want to settle these problems so we can keep moving forward. Not so that we can just waste all of our energy. And that's kind of the the, the meaning of the remainder of this verse. I want to go to somewhere else and keep spreading the gospel. And I want to do it together with you. As your faith grows, we'll do this together. We'll keep moving forward. We see this in Paul's mindset in Romans chapter 15 as well. This is quite a thing to say. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, referring to the church in Rome, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Why? Nobody's gone to Spain yet. And I want to preach the gospel in Spain. And on my way, I want to come and visit you, Rome, so that we can have mutual encouragement. We can have some fellowship. We can, you can send me away, but we fired up. But I'm going to Spain. To keep moving forward and preaching the gospel. I hope to see you while passing through and have you to assist me on my journey there. The majority of his energy was about moving forward and spreading the gospel. Not about taking care of problems. Man, because that's consuming. He's like, yes, gosh, we got to keep instructing and patient. This is hard work, okay? Patiently instructing, but all this is so that we keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. That's the desire of God. His desire isn't to let's get get super focused on this scenario so that we can figure it out and dissect it. No, that's not the heart of God. Yes, let's figure it out. I'm not saying ignore these issues and just minimize them or cast a blind eye to them. But I'm saying the reason to sort them out is to keep moving forward so that we keep preaching the gospel. Look, throughout the Bible, the tendency of man and women is to settle down. If you look through the first 10 chapters of the Bible, this phrase, go be fruitful, increase in number, and multiply. Go here, go there. Be fruitful, increase in number, and go here, and go there. But by the time they get to Genesis chapter 11, it's very clear. It says they wanted to settle. That's the language. Very, very first verse of Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. The people moved eastward. They found a plain and settled. I know God says keep going for I know God says keep going here and there. But man, it feels nice to settle down. That's what they say. And then they say, let us build a city for ourselves and make it to the heavens so we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the earth. Otherwise, we'll have to move. We'll have to go somewhere. We'll have to keep moving on. And so what does God do? Well, you're going to keep moving one way or the other. I'll confuse your language and spread you out. And so we see this tendency and, and over again, God saying, hey, keep moving forward, keep moving forward. No, we want to settle down. And, and this happens in a lot of ways. It's our tendency to play it safe, isn't it? It's our tendency to be comfortable. comfortable. It's mine, it's yours, it's ours naturally. And we say things like, oh, I just, wanna, I just really want to build a strong teen ministry and I really want to grow close to one another and I, I really want to create something, you know, Whatever the words we use, I don't know the words we use, but I just want a, a nice Bible talk, a nice church, and, and all of this, and I really want to, 
But you know what? All of that is good, but it needs to be. I want to see the gospel keep moving forward. That's where the majority of our energy needs to be. But we have this tendency to say, let's just take it safe. Let's settle down. Let's live comfortably. Flat out, no. No. We're going to plant a church in Wellington. It's going to take a lot of work, but we're not settling down. We're going to keep moving forward. It doesn't stop there. There's other cities. There's other islands in this region that need the gospel. And yes, we got issues. And yes, we got to sort them out. We'll sort them out. But keep moving forward. And you know what? Distractions prevent people from moving forward. Corinth was too flat out distracted. They were all consumed in their self. And Paul has to send people to go say, hey, look, man, you got to give to other people. I'm sending people to go make sure you give. Stop focusing on yourself. Hey, as we grow close to one another, I'm going to hurt you. You're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt someone else. And those can become big, fat distractions. Big, fat, lingering distractions. You know what I mean? Where, you know, it starts out small, and then you go tell it to somebody else, and then it kind of spreads, and then kind of a lot of people know about, and then kind of a lot of people know about it, but they're still, it's still not being solved. And that's when you bring the big stick in. But then it kind of, you know, it's like, oh, we, we need to figure this out. We need to have this conversation. There's too much energy focused on the problems. And, I, and I, I'm, I, this isn't a dominant theme in our church, but I'm aware of enough of them to know that we need to flat out move on and keep moving forward. These little petty squabbles, flat out get over it. Move forward. Sort it out. But, but Paul's like, we, we gotta, I want to sort this out so we can keep moving forward. Let your faith grow. Let it increase. So we can spread the gospel beyond you. Hey, when I read it, I felt the heat being turned up. And it doesn't stop here. It continues in chapter 11 and 12. It's like, man, easy. Paul put the battleships away. But that's the heart of God. We see it over and over. And as we conclude, I think we need to learn some things from the church in Corinth. I do, you do, we all do as a church. We, we need to become individuals and a community who speak softly the majority of the time. Like 90, probably 90, maybe more percent of the time. But when the 10% comes to bring the big stick and sort things out, that's what we got to do. Because that's the heart of God. Let's become a people in a church who demolish ungodly thinking. Not people. Let's work together with people and destroy and demolish the thinking. And let's become disciples in a fellowship who keep moving forward. We sort out everything. We do it in a godly way, but we keep moving forward so we can see the gospel expand here to Wellington and throughout the spa region. Amen. Amen.